0: To make this episode work for you, we've been rife with technological failures and just my own fucking stupidity, but it's happening. It's really happening. Um, And this week we are doing the science of slash, which is a topic that we have always wanted to look into, but MK and I are definitely too dumb to do. (laughs) So (laughs) thankfully, thankfully, Poetry and Nadron, our special guests for this week, sent us a fabulous hiatus pitch. Uh, examining some of the greatest what-the-fuckery topics of science and slash and we have them on this week so hey guys welcome to the podcast Hey, what's up? Hi. Which one of, wants to try and explain your presence here first? Uh,
1: what's up? Um, I'm Maidron, and poetry and I basically, we've both been listening to Slash Report for a while, and she was like, hey, uh, we should do Pitch a hiatus episode where we talk about how sexy fanfiction things could happen in real life justified by science. <laughs> and poetry, I guess you thought that was an okay idea? That's correct? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so um hi everyone, I'm Poetry. Um I'm t- that's my AO three name on Tumblr I'm known as Feather Quill Pen. So Maidron and I are basically like Cecil and Carlos respectively in that um Maydron works in radio and I am a scientist and you know she has a smooth sonorous voice and I have perfect beautiful
0: hair. And I'm a little she- bit obsessed with you. <laughs> like, hiding yep. the bushes under your office window and stuff, just so that you can catch it. <coughs> for, for years. For years <laughs> and years.
1: <laughs> we, we, we've been talking about science for years. We just, um, Maidron is very practiced in getting my ramblings, excited ramblings about science to make sense. Since Maidron is used to deciphering my ramblings about science, that, um, we could, uh, have a fan spin on it. And have a lot of fun with it. Uh, which, color,
0: yeah, which has worked out really well for us, because you guys can't see this, and I... Pro- we probably shouldn't upload this, but you guys are really missing out, listeners. Dude, this amazing Google document. <laughs> the first word on this document in like 48 point red font right now, staring at me, is interspecies. <laughs> well, I'm going to force you guys to go. Like- that first. Yay,
1: interspecies poetry and I have been having a lot of conversations about this over the past couple weeks, and I just have been having a really hard time not talking about Spock the entire time. Basically, just talk about Spock. Okay. Because I mean, basically, he's like, well, like Kirk and Spock are like the foundational interspecies relationship. It's like it's like it's kind of like where it all comes from in the first place, and it's kind of weird because, like, you know, Vulcans aren't actually that different from humans and i think like i think as we discussed uh in our first attempt like in the star trek universe like i think in universe it's canonical that like all humanoid life form came from like
0: panspermia distribution so like that we'll say this again because i'm happy to be dumb pervert the same way that i was in the first attempt of recording this When you say panspermia, (laughs) all of the sperm, uh, everywhere, all (laughs) the sperm. Jizz. Explain this
1: <laughs> concept to us, please. Well, it's a really important concept in like in like SF fandom because it's like you know we we're, we saw, we see all these universes where everybody is a humanoid, and that's kind of like what we accept. But I mean, is it actually biologically like ju- justifiable or scientifically justifiable? I mean, poetry. What's your argument against this?
0: Against <laughs> four or, four?
1: or um, for? Or for because so we want to see it happen. So it kind of depends on uh, on sort of. At what point the the organisms are being distributed? So panspermia is this idea that, that life was seeded across a lot of different planets. So, like, life didn't originate on Earth, but came from somewhere else. So that's used to explain humanoids everywhere. It's like, oh, they were seeded everywhere by panspermia. Um, so that's not really plausible. However, the idea that panspermia could have happened with bacteria actually is plausible. So there are a lot of different organisms that can survive in the vacuum of space for a very long time. So like some bacteria and even some animals, water bears, tardigrades. So yeah, all of these things can survive in the vacuum of space and could could presumably survive an interstellar trip um, and be seeded from one solar system to another.
0: So from a complete layman's point of view here, Mm -hmm. um, knowing nothing about anything, my question being that if we do assume that if there was a panspermia, like diaspora of life in the universe, um, it would have had to start from like bacteria and like, these much more simple yet robust life forms, I guess, that can survive space, would it be, like, what would they have evolved into, or would they still be in that state? Like, would we have, is it plausible that, like, human life on Earth came from that concept, or is that just completely absurd, or we don't know? No, it's it's
1: it's possible, but we don't know. I mean, it, but it's definitely possible that that life was seeded from somebody, from someplace else, and a lot of people who talk about the origins of life on Earth have proposed that. Uh, The problem, of course, is that that just kicks the can down the road in terms of explaining where life came from. But uh, one thing you could use panspermia for on the plausible bacteria level if you're writing uh, science fiction is to explain why, like, say, different organisms can eat each other's food. Because if things evolved independently, it would make no sense whatsoever that we could eat food from another planet um, because it would just have a completely different biology and a different chemistry from us and we wouldn't be able to eat it. I think mass effect addresses this um but if all life was seeded, even on a bacterial level from the same place then at the very least we could expect food to be fairly compatible between different planets um, but we wouldn't expect humanoid life to arise over and over again i mean the the shape that we take as humans is kind of an accident in many ways lots of many things in evolution are so like for example i mean what's a good example so like fish have lots of different fins right um the fish that have the first fish that happened to crawl up onto land Um, happened to be a fish with four main fins, and that's why we have four limbs, and all of our relatives have four limbs. But it could have just as easily been like a six-finned fish that crawled up onto land, and we'd all be six-limbed. So a lot of things are kind of accidents. Um, Every, everybody take note these are all possibilities for your fan fiction
0: <laughs> you
1: can add sexy extra limbs
0: <laughs> well those extra limbs had better be the penis um <laughs> one of the things that really intrigues me about this entire line of discussion is that it hails back to a conversation i've had like with a couple of uh um, quote-unquote like capital s serious science fiction authors about uh how even as fandom embraces um, aliens and the idea of different and unique aliens, especially with like the popularity of Stargate, Stargate Atlantis and Trek, um, we still have this very humanoid understanding of alienness. Like nothing is very alien. And do you guys think that may just be a result of us lacking the imagination or just not having the right places, like the right avenues or like, we just couldn't fuck them. And (laughs) that's, well, I
1: I think, I, I think, Yeah, what poetry was saying kind of is, like, you know, if there is, like, panspermic activity, it's probably limited to, like, more, like, microorganisms, so it'd probably be more likely that we would get STDs from extraterrestrial life (laughs) rather than, like, actually be able to get impregnated by it or, like have sex with
0: it I so the- i feel completely betrayed by <laughs> fandom right now no no, no. <laughs> that, yeah, that's yeah. also a theory from a
2: non-scientist <laughs> <laughs> wait guys um, guys isn't the real question that we should be asking ourselves whether or not spock could have mind sex with the silicon rock-like alien
1: oh my god ah, Wait, oh, I'm actually, we're talking, talking about mindset we're, ta- we're talking about this because there's this really good uh trek fic actually this really good where uh, is this going? Fic, uh that i'll um that i'll wreck uh i think where it's like uh gala is having the 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 i forget what that thing is the the, the horta the rock monster is yeah the horta, horta i think um yeah. and it's a silicon it's a silicon based life form in the original episode spock has to mind meld with it it you know m- you know, Spock like melds with all of its sil- silicone based feelings. Anyway, in this fic, uh, the Horta ends up as a you know first year Starfleet student, and uh, Gayla <laughs> as she often is in fic, is like enlisted to um to have have sex with it. And uh, a fortunate consequence of this life form is that it uh, secretes uh, s- like silicate based uh, liquid <laughs> during its um, uh, during its sexual exploits. So basically, it makes lube. So that that's a, good, that's a great example of science used well in fic. Yeah. I don't even think that counts as, like, a self-lubing
2: ass. That's, like, a self-lubing person. Yeah.
1: It's, like, a self-lubing, like, rock person that is not really a, a person by any, like, <laughs> yeah. like four-limb definition. But that's a really good example of a life form that is totally inhuman, I guess. Yeah, yeah, I think
2: Star Trek had a couple good examples of things like just pure energy based beings, the silicon based beings, that kind of thing. Yeah, well, is
1: like a crystalline I mean, the, entity? The cue is kind of Poss- like that. It's possible to be imaginative with these things, but I think people haven't been enough. I mean, part of, part of it is just special effects limitations. Up until recently, yeah. it's just that you couldn't have anything but humans with forehead putty. But um, I think, I mean, I, I think that by studying science, being a student of science, you can come up with more creative science fiction. Um, That's true. I guess is part of why I'm here. Um, and I think some authors do it really well. Uh, when we were talking about this, one great example I love is the Mulefa in His Dark Materials. Um, these are these creatures from a sort of parallel universe, and we'll get to parallel universes later, um, where the, these, these creatures that are incredibly well fleshed out and interesting, they're kind of like, almost a little bit like elephants, they have trunks, but... They have four legs, like, but they're arranged in a diamond shape instead of, like, two. Those are three. the ones that are, like, wheels. They, like, yeah. roll right out wheels. Yeah, they have a symbiosis with these, like, trees that produce these seed pods They use as wheels, and it's really, really awesome. So that's, like, a great example of someone being truly imaginative
0: with aliens.
2: Nice. Should we move yeah. on to the next one? Um. Yeah, sure. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, I mean, like, my closing thought on this is just from a purely, like, writer's point of view, the in- immediate thought I have when it comes to, like, these really imaginative and sort of like blow your mind conceptions of alien life forms is that it creates this real difficulty in how to, because every story is reliant upon interactions, right? So you have to sit there and it just becomes like a real sort of puzzle as to how you write these interactions. Cause you don't necessarily just want it to be, like, person X and person Y roll up into this, like, weird place. Look at all this, like, fucked up shit that's happening here. You could, but it's, like, actually quite hard to, like, build a plot around, look at all this fucked up shit. Like, I know, I've tried. <laughs> like, that's But it, I do love that because it – I always approach every story as, like, a challenge accepted moment. And I feel like there's going to be a situation now where we're going to be like, fuck this noise – someone is going to have a romantic relationship with, like, a bacteria. (laughs) 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 And now it needs to happen, because why not? I I have have a lot of optimism about the ability
1: to write these things, because uh, my major fandom, my small fandom, as mentioned before, is Animorphs. And Animorphs has, like, three canonical interspecies romances, and in in two of the cases, the two individuals involved are really, really different. Mm -hmm. And yet, it still works out. So, I come from a background where I really believe you can write this well. Excellent. Yay. True interspecies love.
0: Yay. <laughs> but we always have to pull back and, like, do a truth about cats and dogs thing here and say, like, love your pets, but don't love your <laughs> Right? Like, that's not what we're advocating here, bros.
1: Okay, God damn it! I keep on writing the line. I feel like the last time I kept on writing the line between, like, bestiality. I'll try.
0: <laughs> I'll try not to do it this time. Well, I mean, th- this gets us into this whole, like, sh- like dying shit spiral of, like, what is the definition of this? <laughs> <laughs> yeah not what this podcast is about yeah like we can't go there or else i'm gonna start talking about how like bestiality was only outlawed in washington state like when i was in college and i know about this because i were i worked in a news gathering capacity at that point um and (laughs) it was like the only article that we were passing between us was this dude who died from massive internal hemorrhaging from making sweet love to a horse and like, why? And like I, why I don't know why do people own cats Emily none of these things make sense to me <laughs> but when
1: like, I when I say true interspecies love I, I just am thinking of like Kirk and Spock I'm not <laughs> thinking of horses <laughs> well you were before that's probably what it sounds
0: like to the rest of the world you know what that's okay we have a sympathetic audience of weirdos and uh somehow this is gonna work out for everybody we have to move on (laughs) (laughs) we have to move on (laughs) although this this talk is topic is not gonna be that much better um which is a thing that of course like given the popularity of uh a new track as well as the recent upsurge in terms of alpha omega effect is big in everyone's mind like a knot. Um far <laughs> thanks actually, for that. <laughs> sure. Nicely, nicely done. That's right, that's right. I'm slick as hell. Oh, God! Oh. Oh, God. Why? Part so of our, our
1: original plan a life form. <laughs> Guys, I didn't know what knotting was until like a month ago, and part of our original plan was poetry was gonna tell me on air, but then we then we didn't do that.
0: How did you not know what nodding was until recently? Perfect. <laughs> I don't know, because I'm a strange baby. I feel like I found every person on the internet who didn't know. I'd already <laughs> worked the a glorious moment. It was, it was, it was a good one. It was a
1: good first time.
0: <laughs> yeah, I bet it was. Yes. All right, guys.
1: <laughs> farm heats, mating, chop chop. Well, okay, first all, I'll throw it to me, What do you think appeals to people about this? Oh my god, I mean, I, I feel like you, I like it. I feel like I've, wrecked some, like, track fix to you that you haven't liked, so I feel like I probably... I, pr- I feel like I probably like this more than you do. Is that, like, a safe assumption to make? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> 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 um, I don't know. I mean, I just... I, I guess that I just have like, you know, like a true love thing, you know, it's kind of, that's kind of a big part of it for me. This is embarrassing to
0: talk about. <laughs> no, it's not, you know, but you're in good company because I <laughs> believe in love at first sight, so we can be embarrassing together.
1: <laughs> I mean, it's just, it's it's such an enduring thing, as you were just saying, like, I mean, this is, th- this is part of the, the big drive of like, you know, Kirk Spock, which is like a big foundational thing for fandom, I think, and like a lot of. A lot of other stuff has branched off of it, and I obviously can't blame, like, everything on that, but, <laughs> you know. You can try.
0: Make <laughs> a real good effort.
1: <laughs> right. Um, so, I mean, from my point of view, it's kind of funny that, that you like heats and pond bar and stuff because of true love, because the, these like, heats and this sort of thing are actually associated with extreme promiscuity. Yeah. Um, I mean, heats are generally a time when, like, you go into heat and you fuck everything in sight. Like, it's not like you bond magically in your soul with one person. Well, that's weird, <laughs> because it's like there are two sides of it, like, and maybe that's just because they're often written together, but, like, really they're, like, completely antithetical, and, like, there isn't a reason why they
0: should coexist. Well, I think, so. That like, to take a slight detour before we actually get into the biology of it, to get into, like, a little bit of, like, the, uh, the psychology and the gender divide of this, and I don't know if this is, like, a strict gender divide, But like you're like you're saying, they're two very like very different ways of looking at heats, right? Like there's the typical like porn fantasy one where like you have a crazed slut who is just hungry for cocks, like any cocks, all cocks, and that's just like a really awful Ron Jeremy movie in the making. And then there's the female version of this, which still eroticizes that, but in a very different way. Where like you are also totally hungering for some sex of some kind, but it's going to be like with this one person who is going to bone you but good, and it's going to keep happening, it's going to be great, and it's going to be this wonderful moment where everyone reaffirms their like squishy feelings for each other with lots of sex and babies, which is I, I think such an interesting sort of like fundamentally emotionally divide from the way people ad- address this issue.
1: Yeah, it's That is interesting. I mean, my sort of psychological take on it is that the appeal of heat is just this kind of idea of, like, being overwhelmed by sexuality, which I think all of us who are sexual kind of have experienced one point or another. Um, And so, I don't know, you can kind of identify it with it on some level. Um, But yeah, in terms of what heat is biologically like, actually, heat is much more common than the system that we have. Um, Like, heat is kind of the default among mammals, so it's certainly plausible in every way. Um, but yeah, as I've said, it's mostly associated with promiscuity. So what'll happen is when, when a female goes into heat, um, she advertises, I mean, like heat is basically just when, when your ovaries release snick. And so the female basically just advertising to every male in the air, like, Hey, look, like I have an egg that's just ready to be fertilized. And so they try to make as big a deal of it as possible. Uh, that doesn't mean that they have sex with every male in sight, um, uh, but they do exhibit some selection among the males that come running. Um, but they still almost always have sex with multiple partners uh, during heat. Um, I mean, this isn't always true. Like an example of this is with wolves. Wolves are much more monogamous than, uh, than some other animals that have heat. And I suspect that's why we get this monogamy thing in, in, in thick with heats, because a lot of this stuff is based on wolves. Um, <laughs> and what do <laughs> <what they know>. you <laughs> like, uh,
0: Taking notes. Yeah, um, are you taking notes for your furry wolf epics?
2: Uh, I already know all of the stuff about wolf sex, obviously.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Poetry and I have decided that we're also gonna try to, like, branch out and create, like, another- a new horrible slash trope based on, like, horrible things for biology. I.e. when, like, like, female hyenas give birth through their penises. Poetry, can you explain? (laughs) Well, that's more of an impreg thing, but, uh... The, but but yeah, uh, we, were, we were thinking we have to invent a hyenaverse, because um, hyenas, both males and females, have a penis and a, a scrotum. Um, now only the males have testes and the ability to make sperm, but basically, like, females and males, like, the, the male, like, kind of just sticks his dick into her dick. Um, <laughs> like, oh my god, this is
0: like ultimate animal docking. That's I awful.
2: really, like, docking is my least favorite trope. That is so Gross.
0: <laughs> so yeah and then
1: the, the, the female aina gets pregnant and then gives birth through her penis um Ta-da! And, yeah i know there's all other all these other aspects that are great for for crack pick, like the like the, the reason that females have penises it's thought is because like their dominance displays are basically like showing their erections to each other and like whichever okay. one has the bigger erection like is more dominant and females are generally dominant over males well dude they have, when like, you bigger, were when you were explaining this to me, I was thinking, like, I mean, you know, you say crack fic now, but maybe this is a future, like, alternative Omegaverse that <laughs> in, in some way is actually kind of subverting the Omegaverse's thing where, like, I'm not saying 100% of Omegaverse fics do this, but, like, Omegaverse kind of takes away the need for women in universe and, like, kind of makes dudes into women, and Universe like... You know, it kind of takes away the need for dudes
0: because the ladies have dicks that they're birthing through. Can I just I say that, though? I think that horrifyingly, this depends on which fandom that you're in in terms huh? of whether or not Omegaverse erases women. Because <laughs> I obviously, guys, I'm still doing this for all of us. I'm still tracking the Glee Kink meme. <laughs> wait, wait, can, can we know? Is that where Bugcock came from? Yes. Um, oh my god! <laughs> We—I have not gone so like my devotion to this is not so deep that I've like gone through and read them the way that I read the King memes. <laughs> but like, there is a lot of something called girl peen on. The Glee kink meme. So, like, that hyenaverse shit is already there. And if you guys want to see this, like, awful goddamn, like, penis birth thing, this is, like, the weak spot in the fabric of Vandermeer.
1: Wait, but do, do they actually give birth through their girl peens?
0: I don't think that they give birth through their girl peens. I think that they fuck boy pussies with their girl <laughs> Wait, what? <laughs> Glee is, is very that, complicated. Is that slash? I don't know like this is this is where we hit the point where it's like uncategorizable now
1: like, how did this happen in the glee
0: fandom
1: dude like everything a- happens in the glee fandom There's like
0: a whole long sociological discussion we could have about people who are like 13 sexually confused yes. and trying to like get creepy sex ed through the internet and the glee kink meme and this is what happens when people go oh, around <laughs> unchecked oh shit but I am for them. You know what? Express yourself.
2: <laughs> hey, you gotta, everyone does some crazy
0: shit in fandom when they're young. That's true, and if you're a Supernatural yeah. fan, you carry that over. Yeah, yeah, they you, do. You carry that for all time. Did SPN invent Omegaverse?
1: No, didn't it come from something? Well, I don't know. I actually, well, I okay,
0: know. like, this is, ah, oh, it! <laughs> <laughs> I'm doing this to myself. Okay. So I feel, this is my theory, and I have no actual backing for this, but in terms of actually tracking the progression of Omegaverse becoming like a quote-unquote thing in fandom, it started It started off with nodding, where once mm-hmm. upon a time on the SPN Blindfolds kink meme, which has since closed, it just ate itself like an Ouroboros. Oh. Um, <laughs> someone wrote a story that was a J2 RPS story about... Uh, Jared having, like, dog characteristics and Jensen being, like, a stuck-up bitch, quote-unquote. And eventually, like, Jared nails him by a lake and has, like, a knot on his dick. And this took the fuck off. Like, people loved this shit and they were eating it up with, like, two spoons, right? <laughs> and a com eventually called Take the Knot, yes, this exists. If you look at oh. the LJ, it's still there, um, exists. Uh, And it was all nodding stories. And then once that had become popular, the same prompt that came out of that, right? Like, people started prompting, like, for nodding shit um, on the SPN kink memes. I think, like, the most famous one that you end up seeing, like, on every kink meme now is, like, someone goes into heat And then their preferred partner or something like that, like beats up all the other guys trying to bone this person and like breeds them all night. Something like that. That sounds pretty familiar. That's because it's on literally every fucking kink meme multiple times sometimes. And I feel like that sort of got into the groundwater and like, to justify, like, the nodding thing and make it, like, slightly less creepy. You had to build an entire universe around it. I'm I'm always so impressed by the world-building in
1: a lot of Omega-Gos. Because sometimes people... Sometimes some people think so much about the biology, like that one you sent me that had all the the scenting and stuff in it. Well, that was
0: One of the ones that I found so interesting, like, and this is, you know, like, you guys can treat this as a recommendation for this week if you're interested to read it, is that Fresny wrote... Um, yes, that's, for, that's the one we're talking about. Yeah, that's the Gordian funny. Knot of something, like, I forget the titles. It's called Friggian Choices, Friggian's spelled P H R. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Such an interesting oh, story, and such incredible world building right about oh yeah sort of the science biology and like the social consequences of if this were actually real yeah, yeah
1: so well done i mean like just any scientist point of view i, mean, I was just like pumping my fist in the air like there's just <laughs> some little details that like that just i just absolutely adored like one little detail this is gonna sound really silly but um so on the end topic um so there's actually a there's actually a a uh, biological precedent for ass babies sorry to tell you uh because in, in many in many organisms like the reproductive tract and the like excretory tract um are one they're the this same is like with birds right right Colica. yeah calicas right um and some mammals have that too and so like what I found so great is that like in one of these uh these, these fics in the series, uh, Sherlock is an omega and ev- invents sex toys for omegas, and one of them's called the Cloica 131.
0: I'm like, yes
1: <laughs> and the biology of this. I love you.
0: <laughs> no, and I mean like this is going to straight up like MK cover your ears like gross territory, but like There was definitely one of these stories that talks about, like, the mucus plug and shit like that. And I was like, okay, somebody has done a lot more research than I have. (laughs) I don't even want to know what that is. Well, they've taken, um, they've taken, like, fucking shitty, insatisfying, like, Alpha Omega Fake to a completely different level, and now, like, it's no longer, like, when I read, when I, it used to be, like, a year ago, or two years ago, when I saw Alpha Omega Fake, like, I knew exactly what you were getting into, you were getting into some sort of, like, weird, idiots power play thing, and, like, it was mostly a justification for, like, having cum kink and all this other crap, and now you have the possibility of like stepping into a story like that Fresno one where it's like so interesting and well thought out and like you want to examine gender dynamics if you remove them from gender, right? And it's such it's such an interesting construct now.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So. Um, and so, and so I think there's a lot that can be done there. I feel like the directions and I actually wrote this whole thing in our Google Doc about how you can get creative with the megaverse. So, um, so okay, so I have a few thoughts about that. So first off, needs way more hit and fence slash, um, like way way more. Um, there's actually a really, I should also wreck this, this really great, um, Omegaverse femslash Slash series in Sherlock fandom that's, um, that's like Molly Irene, and it's really great. Um, wow. And, yeah, and it's this also amazing world building. It even has a, like, Tumblr post by, like, someone who, like, identifies as Alpha and Omega and, like, wants to, um, you know, be recognized for their gender identity, which is, like... I'm like, wow! You really, you really thought about this. Um, but are there, people, there probably are people on Tumblr who do identify as alpha or omega. <laughs>
0: well, it's Tumblr.
1: <top laughs> yes, it is. Um, but yeah, so I think a lot of ways you get interesting with this is first off, I find it kind of interesting that in a lot of omega respects, like alphas are socially dominant over omegas. Um, you know, like they're they're sort of like the equivalent of men, whether they're alpha females or alpha males. Um, but I think that doesn't really have much of a biological basis and that, like, even in species where, you know, there is heat and stuff, like, females can still be socially dominant over males. Uh, the individuals going into heat can be dominant over, you know, the equivalent of alphas. Um, so, like, an obvious example, of course, is, like, insect hives, where you have, like, the queen, who's the only one who can lay eggs, and that's obviously the equivalent of an omega, but, like, the queen is, in, in some cases, socially dominant over the rest of the hive. Uh, and another example would be bonobos like bonobos are perhaps our closest relatives they're also called pygmy chimpanzees and they have heat um and they yes they have heat and and they have you know this whole system kind of like a megaverse but females are socially dominant or males um and of course they have all different combinations male female 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 all that stuff um so just because there's a sex that goes into heat and stuff doesn't mean they have to be like socially like inferior to the alphas um and- speaking, speaking of hives poetry i i i, I still want to talk about like sexy psychic stuff all right yeah so, <laughs> 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 so this, is- this is like topics exchange <laughs> but um uh, we, talk- we were also talking about insects because uh, we were talking about like the possibility of mind melding yeah uh, yeah, food insects and mind melding. Well, because like oh, I, mean, yeah. I, I was like poetry. I mean, this is like my non-scientist brain again. I was poetry was like mind melding's probably not possible. And I was like, what about like you know hive minds or like schools of fish like communicating with each other? Um, but then didn't you conclude that like people could potentially like mind meld by exchanging pheromones via making out, which is
0: sort of do that like on a very like basic level of just reading body cues off of each other. Isn't that some, like that's unspoken communication. Right. That's true. What I was
1: talking about though, is that, um, you know, so, so insects can communicate very complex messages with pheromones. Uh, just to clear it up, I feel like a lot of people don't understand what pheromones are. Pheromones are hormones that affect other people. So imagine if like the estrogen that your ovaries were squirting out could affect somebody next to you. Okay. <laughs> and, 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 people, and it's like urban legend that that happens with girls when like they share their, you know, their their time at the same time. Um but you were just telling me that like There's no actual biological proof for pheromones in humans, though there is in other species. Right, yeah, there's- I mean, there's- it's thought that it might be the case in humans, but there's no
0: actual solid proof of it. Uh, MK would fight this to the death, because she blames me for so many of her periods. Okay, but you don't
2: understand. You have a weird, like- like, it's fucked
0: up. And also, you can talk
2: about the science of lady parts for as long as you want, but in the absence of natural light, we sync up with the moon, and that's fucking
1: magic. No, that is, that is fucking amazing. It's amazing. No, that's not, that's not so strange. I mean, a lot of, a lot of, um, like, birds, a lot of their, like, functions are based on the moon and the sun. Right, but why? um, Well, migration, you know.
2: I don't care. I don't, I don't migrate. My lady parts don't migrate. I cannot find any, like, I have yet to hear a reasonable explanation for, like, and then the moon gets full and you're going to start bleeding from the
0: cooch. You know what? I mean, it's because my vagina is stronger than yours. Like, in a dick measuring contest, I win. Oh, my God. I love I, that you call it a cooch. That's <laughs> I know I,
2: that your vagina is stronger than mine because you have normal periods and I have, like, six. <laughs>
0: We have to stop talking about her vaginas. Especially brought to you by the fact that MK is like bitter because every time I'm anywhere near her, I trigger a period.
2: In her. Right. And normally I'm like, I don't have another period for like three months. Unless I see Prue. Yep.
0: yep. I'm
2: probably gonna get one real soon.
0: Yes, see you at the end of August, baby.
2: I hate you. Aww. Might as well get it out of the way before my vacation, right?
0: That's true. Get it out. Get it out. Just out there. Doubling back before my <laughs> mind belts on the topic of like heats and stuff, I was gonna ask like so you had mentioned really early on that the way that humans mate is actually quite rare um, compared to the number of animals that have heat. Is there ever a period of time that human animals or any of our ancestors had similar heat cycles? And is there a reason that we particularly developed to be the way that we are and why we don't have them?
1: Ooh, yeah, I can go on the topic at great length. So this is a, a big hot topic in the in the research of human evolution. So it's very likely that, that one of our ancestors had heat cycles. Because if you look at our two most closely related species, the chimpanzee and the bonobo, they both have heat cycles. Um, and what we have is what we call hidden estrus. So estrus is a fancy word for ovulation, um, when you're most fertile. And hidden means that we don't advertise it. So in most, in most mammals, uh, you know, it's very, and even in birds and that, and that sort of thing, um, it's very much advertised when you have a fertile egg, because if you have a fertile egg, you want it to get fertilized, right? Um, so, so females tend to advertise that very loudly, and we don't. And so hidden estrus is something that kind of demands explanation. <laughs> Um, and there's a lot of really interesting research as to why this might be. Um, so one very uh, interesting idea as to why this is the case, that we've hidden estrus, is because of uh, that it reduces social competition. So if you, if you look at animals that have heat, um, these animals tend to get very, very competitive around heats. Um, females who are having heats at the same time are trying to get access to the, the males that they prefer. Uh, the males are fighting to have access to the females. And there's all kinds of of potentially very violent competition. Uh, And the key to human success in many ways is the fact that we get along so well and that we form these huge social groups uh, and are able to do things together. And so it's, it's thought that maybe estrus is hidden in humans so that we just won't fight each other over sex all the time. We are pretty violent. Right, but, but compared to chimpanzees, I mean, have you seen what chimpanzees do? We are, they are, like, really horrifying. Yeah, <laughs> they just look kind of cuddly. No, like, I hate them with the
2: fire of a thousand suns. MK hates monkeys. Like, all monkeys, and anything that is even
0: like a monkey, including people. <laughs> She's a fucking freak. I occasionally will send her monkey pictures just to freak her out.
2: When we were in Japan, she and the hoiden went up a mountain to meet some monkeys, and I was like, I'll just stay down here. Oh my god, so many monkeys. So many monkeys. So, so glad worried. I didn't go up that stupid <laughs> mountain.
0: <laughs> that monkeys, it was great.
1: Aww. I feel obliged to say that chimpanzees are not monkeys, and neither are we, but... Um, Anything monkey-like. <laughs>
0: <laughs> this is where your deep personal loathing comes from. All right, sorry. Circling back to the mind melds. Right, so mind
1: melds. So the reason that insects came up
0: is that insects, unlike us, are able to communicate
1: very complex messages using theramon. Um And and the one way that they that they pass pheromones one to another is by something called truphylaxis, which is just a fancy word for spitting in each other's mouths and oh, what wow. is spitting in each other's mouths other than kissing right um oh, that is not the kissing That is like spitting somebody pretty much kissing <laughs> but you swap
0: saliva is the point yeah but not like not like shit, <laughs> no shit like,
1: You can go around all judging people, sex neighbors looking for insect sex advice. Yeah, so
0: first of all, no <laughs> spitting into your partner's mouth and also use way less tongue than what you're doing right now. I don't know how <laughs> much you're using, but it's probably too much. Continue.
1: Exchange pheromones via saliva and you can exchange saliva via kissing. So you could totally um, have complex stuff communicated um using pheromones in that way um well maybe like I, don't we also only use like 10 percent of our brain or something no nope, that is like, not so, true that's a total lie <laughs> oh, okay okay but in, in my fantasy when you're making out with someone could you potentially like be communicating way more information than either of you could process therefore when you're making out with like a vulcan for instance that has really complex like you know they have more intense like You know, use of their mind or whatever, maybe you could have a mind melt. I mean, there's only so much information that pheromones can communicate. I mean, it's, I mean, there's definitely some things that it can communicate. Like, it can, it can communicate like social status, like who their family is, how they're feeling. um, Oh my god. Wait. Wait,
2: you know what I really want? A fake where people can smell that Spock is a princess.
0: (laughs) 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 Okay. Uh, for your own good.
2: I think that would just be amazing.
1: Yeah.
0: <laughs> no, sign me up. Sign
1: What's me that up? delightful
2: smell? It smells like princess.
1: <laughs> smell
0: like MK? Okay.
2: Like sugar and spice and all things nice, and then a sense of duty. <laughs>
1: oh my god! Oh my god! <laughs> I think the most plausible scenario for mind milk, though, is actually just cyborgs. Like, if you could... I mean, we already have, like, MRIs that can pretty much read what you're thinking. Um, and so if we had some kind of chip in your brain that could read what you're thinking, and then someone else's chip in their brain that can you can, like, beam that information to, then that would be the most plausible thing, actually. So that's, like, the whole premise of BSG, then? Um, not exactly, but kind of. But that's, like, basically
0: what happens with guys. <laughs> I guess so. Horribly. <laughs> <laughs> basically mind meld is in theory possible in the future as if we set up brains like distributed computing when your mri
1: becomes like a sexy anthropomorphized mri that you can make out with
0: good yeah robots cannot give informed consent <laughs> oh okay. i'm just saying that now good good point good point good point yes good point
1: everyone leave them alone
0: <laughs> <laughs> Robots alone. you <laughs> just want to fulfill their function, not touch your feet.
1: <laughs> well, man, you know what we should get around to because Prue loves it a lot? Gender swap. I love... Yay! It. Let's talk about Gender swap. I talk about Gender swap all goddamn day. Yes. Well, this is, like, one of the more feasible things on our list, right? Right, yeah. Well, I mean, this one, I mean, this isn't really referring to versus where someone's born a woman from the beginning, because that's not... You know, that's not anything sci-fi. That's just, you know, some people are, are women, some people aren't. Um, but we were talking about, like, some, the scenario where someone changes from one to another. Yes. Um, yeah, and, that's, and that happens a lot in, uh, in the animal kingdom, for sure. I mean, um, there's so what we would call animals that are able to switch from one sex to another are sequential hermaphrodites. So most, most people think of, when they think of hermaphrodites, they think of something that's male and female at the same time. But you can also be a sequential hermaphrodite, which means that you switch from one to the other. Um, so like a great example of this is, um, is that clownfish are sequential hermaphrodites. And in finding Nemo, what should have happened when Nemo's mom dies, is that Nemo's dad should have turned into his mom. Um, because that's what clownfish do. Uh, when when the female on the group dies, the ma- one of the males turns into a female. So... Um, so that's what should be happening in like gender swaps. Fix some of the time is like when a when a woman becomes absent, like a dude has to turn into a lady.
0: Wow, this could turn this could be like a really hilariously bleak SPN commentary <laughs> about like how every time they kill off a female character, another male character has to become a lady and then immediately die. <laughs> Wait, did that actually? <laughs> <laughs>
2: That's too so smart <laughs> That's for SPN. Fandom,
1: but I know exactly what you're talking about, because <laughs> if there's one thing that people outside of SPN fandom know, it's that no lady character survives.
0: No lady character um, survives. <laughs> Aww. <laughs> yep. Shit.
1: But, yeah, so it's, it's, it's definitely something that can happen. So you can have, like, an alien who either, like, yeah, has to become a female under certain circumstances if males are absent, or can just freely switch between the two. There's definitely animals that can do that. There's even some animals that can, like, They can sort of like switch between being one, the other, or both. So there's all kinds of shenanigans, or Uh, like they become a different sex during mating, like in Left
0: Hand of Darkness. Oh yeah, yes, I loved that book. That was the only Ursula K. Le Guin thing I ever liked. Oh, I'm gonna fight you! I love Ursula K. Le Guin like now everything except earthy anyway um it, it didn't resonate with me but that one book really was fabulous to me I loved it it was well a- it's like a really rare depiction in like a pretty
1: famous book of a really intense alternate kind of gender scenario
0: yeah absolutely it was really intriguing I think I read that probably when I was like 16 or 17 and it's had like a resonant effect on the earth <laughs> it's obviously
1: now I really want to wreck this amazing uh, Left Hand of Darkness fanfiction that like made me cry and was amazing. Um, yeah, you should definitely you should definitely toss that in at the end. Yeah, I will. I have a I have a whole another Google Doc full of links. So, <laughs> <Okay. Amazing. laughs> Um.
0: Oh, so what next? Um, oh, so I you know we have to since we've addressed gender swap. Uh, why don't we do, this is, I'm, I'm making this, the executive decision to do this one because you're right up on how plausible it is. is funny to me. Nodding. Oh,
1: God. <laughs> <laughs> oh, right. Nodding. Yeah. So we kind of, we, yeah, so that happens, like, that's pretty much all, pretty much all male
0: canines do it. It's, um, and yeah, so like they. Oh, wait, the, you know what? Before we go any further, MK, I'm putting you on the spot here. Why does it appeal to people?
2: Oh, you know what? I think it's part size kink and part, like, a marking kink, weirdly, even though it doesn't leave a bruise. Right. It's like, You're... like, if you could combine marking with scent, because, you know, they, in most of the ones I read, it's werewolves, obviously. Mm. Uh, and it's like, you can smell yourself on that person, even after they've showered or cleaned or whatever. And I know that this is not why it works biologically, but because it's keeping the semen in. <laughs> As they always get really excited about. So like size kink plus like I was in you uh, that level all
1: right. of previous. I love. I creepiness. I was kind of mystified by that, so thanks. Um but yeah, so I find it funny that the kind of justification given in fic in for naughty is that it keeps the it keeps the the ejaculate in uh, and increases the chance of fertilization. But I did some research on this. That was a very strange period of research to tell you. <laughs> <laughs> And, uh, I, I can even give references at the end of this. I actually have all the scientific references for all the facts that I've given so far. I am right. to that point. Um, but, because I didn't want to say anything that was wrong. So, anyway, um... So with, with nodding, uh, so what it actually is for, what it's most likely for, is that, you know, when, when a male nods a female, they're tied together. I mean, they can't separate. So the real reason why nodding happens, or at least that's what scientists currently think, is to prevent the female from running off and screwing somebody else. <laughs> um, so this whole thing of, like, the deep soul bond thing with nodding, of, like, I want to be with you and only you, I mean, that's the exact opposite of what nodding is for. <laughs> so um, it's to prevent you from running off and screwing somebody else. Crushing dreams poetry. <laughs>
0: yes, I love that. So, <laughs> so, yeah, so mean. Now I'm going to need, like, I'm going to need, like, okay, I'm going to need an entire raft of ladies, probably all on sock accounts, writing some great filth on kink memes about how you have to not someone to keep them from running off and being a slag with everybody else. In town. <laughs> on, me, fandom. I hate these things. You can do this in, like, eight fandoms. Easy. Come on. Easy. Good, good. <laughs>
1: That's Um, really
0: intriguing. I never thought about that before, but that makes perfect sense.
1: Yeah. um, Monogamy is very, very rare in in the animal kingdom. So it's hardly any surprise.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, moving on from those topics, um, we obviously need to talk about another one of my favorite topics to the point where it's like basically parody and is on our TV Troves page m Prague and it's companion f Prague.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I felt I had to add f Prague just because I actually read them slash, um, and it's nice to have the flip side of things. Um, so, uh, Madron, do you have any thoughts to add about why you think this trope is popular or anything? I thought that Dude things i don't know i don't actually read a ton of mpreg which is funny because like i read journals from when i was like 13 the other day and it was like i just read some really awesome mpreg and i was like <laughs> dude when have i ever read mpreg so i don't know Can we... maybe at some, maybe at some point in my life i don't know i mean i think it's kind of like it, it, it's i don't know it, it's part of a whole thing of kind of i guess cast the female you know war- raised world experience onto male
0: characters i don't really know I, think I I don't i think that's a huge part of it i i do believe that that's a huge part of it but i also feel like it, the way that we conceptualize like um monogamous couples and, like, successful romances is we've always been programmed The Happily Ever After involves, like, two people, their castle, and their eventual babies. And I feel like that is still, on some level, like, narratively, we like having that. I have a question. Okay. okay. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Did you raise your hand, MK?
2: No. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> um, when people tag something f preg are they just talking about, like, standard lady is prego or are they talking about something else
1: uh they're generally talking about a woman getting another woman pregnant
2: what yep okay see I don't think I've ever like seen that tag on anything I've been reading but I've seen it on things that I haven't been reading so I'm like, mm, I don't know about that and I was always so curious and I'm still curious and confused
1: well I mean I don't really read a ton of either of these but I'm wondering like are there ever like you know, sort of scientific explanations for how it happens? Do people, like, put that into consideration or are they just kind of, like, ass babies? No, here,
2: (laughs) I have my favorite science story. It's about this lizard that they discovered in mainland China. It was, like... Uh, they found one in the wilderness, and they were like, oh, what a cool, like, lizard we've never seen before. It's little, it's female, whatever. Um, and they were like, if only we could find more of them. And it turned out that they were eating them in a Chinese restaurant. They were eating them, like, by the bucket load. <laughs> um, and they were like, okay, but all of these lizards are female. Like, where where are the males? And they were like, what are you talking about? There aren't any. And it turns out that it is a self-cloning all-female army of lizards. <laughs> So when yes. they, like, they left one alone in a terrarium for a while, suddenly there were two of it, and they were like, what? <laughs> yep. Oh actually, what I, really
1: like about, what I really like, I actually know about what the lizard is talking about, and what I particularly like about this, this sort of uh, group of lizards, this whole group of species that are all female, is that they actually have sex with each other, the females, and they do this because, um, like, they, they still have a kind of – I suppose you'd call it a physiological memory of what it was like to be sexual. And so being mounted and like being stimulated sexually, like spurs them to have to lay larger eggs, which is better. So they kind of switch off being on the bottom so that they can have larger eggs. So then they have sex with each other. So Dude, I hope people are taking so many notes on this podcast. <laughs>
2: they can save it and take um, notes on their second listen through. And then write a paper for yep, science yep. class.
1: <laughs> science class with Dr. Poetry. Yeah. Except the final paper is to write a fanfic that somehow includes a scientific idea in an interesting way, yeah. which <laughs> make me very happy. Um, but um, but yeah, so yeah, 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 I was just wondering, like, what are what what are there the the in world like mechani- mechanizations <laughs> of M preg or F preg ever? Like, how how do people explain them, or are they just do they just people just start getting pregnant? <laughs> Surprise! On Megaverse, is it's generally world built quite a bit, but oh mm-hmm. yeah, I guess so, yeah. But i most yeah. Part, it's not really well explained. Um, I, so, I mean, I guess that, like, the time I would have been reading Mpreg was, like, w- way before Omegaverse existed, like, way back in, like, shitty Lord of the Rings fandom, like, in the <laughs> early 2000s. So, I don't know, is
0: that how people justify it
1: mostly now, is through Omegaverse, or does it ever happen another way?
0: I think nowadays it's justified primarily through Omegaverse. Um, I think a lot of times if you're, especially, like, in any fandom that has, like, the interspecies opportunities it'll get justified by just saying that like oh my species can have babies like i recently fell down a dark goddamn hole called the hobbit fandom and basically the no. like, hobbit thing in the world has like something about like secretly like door <laughs> or like secretly hobbit b can have oh that's like that's how hobbits and dwarves roll or some shit like that whatever <laughs>
1: Oh my god, I can't believe how far removed I am from Tolkien fandom
0: to not yeah. Oh, you don't even know, you don't even know Like, I've seen it's things, terrible you know? Like, just to be holding, like, a shaking hand rolled cigarette i things, <laughs> I've <seen> things. Uh, <laughs> but, but basically, like I think that it falls into two categories, right? Like, um, you can either have the ones with the Omegaverse and therefore, like, you have lots of world building. and um, I feel like in Omegaverse it's almost fair to say that the genders are more broken up into alpha, omega, or beta as genders versus anything else. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. No, so yeah. Wait,
2: wait. I read a story today where someone described Laura Hale as a serial
0: nodder. Oh, God. Actually, <laughs> <laughs> you know, like, okay, I really love that you're my friend because every time I think I've really lived bad, you like, you trump me so hard. <laughs> hard um but then there's like the other type of mpreg where people just don't explain it because all they really want to do is write about someone getting pregnant and like i'm completely okay with that as well like i am not here to nitpick your process. <laughs> <laughs> i'm here for the babies right. Uh,
1: right. yeah so in terms of how plausible it is i mean it kind of depends on i think the the tension here is between how how human society defines male and female and how biologists define male and female. Um, so biologists define male and female. Well, actually here's a bit of an experiment. What, what do you, like, how would you define male and female? I mean, like what, what, what's the difference between male and female? XY Throwing it out there to non-biologists, someone non-science. Chromosomes.
0: Yeah. XY and XX. I'm going to be gross about this and say, <laughs> on a biological basis, gender is defined by xxxy on a social basis it's defined by like a set of behaviors that and certain like things that you do like gender is a socialized thing in addition to a biological sex thing
1: right yeah so I'm giving the evolutionary biologist definition which is um the chromosomal sex doesn't really work because not all animals um use the xxxy system oh Uh, damn those animals (laughs) science so, like, for example, crocodile, when crocodiles and similar uh, reptiles, like in turtles too, um, the sex of an egg is determined by what temperature the egg is during incubation. It's not genetic at all. Hmm. Um, so if it's within a certain temperature range, the egg will be male, and if it's in a different range, they'll be female, and if it's in a range in between, they'll be a mix. So they, can't so they do have the seconds. same chromosomes, in the shit. right? So there's no chromosomal difference between males and females in these reptiles. Just a temperature difference in the egg. So, so chromosomal sex—I does, mean—that doesn't really work universally. So the universal definition of male and female that applies to all males and all females, even in plants—wait, there are plants? Um, there are male and female plants. Yeah, totally. My sister we can identify a, male we and we female. We have another good Star animals. Trek reference for that one. <laughs> 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 oh my god, we do. Okay, we'll get to that at the end. Um but yes, the universal definition. Yeah, the universal definition is um males are anything that makes small gametes, gametes being sex cells, sperm or eggs. So basically males make sperm and females make eggs. And the difference between a sperm and an egg is that a sperm is very, very small and it's basically just a it's a uh, it's genetic material with a rocket attached <laughs> from a biology <laughs> point of view. It has nothing else. It just has it has um it has genetic material equivalent of a rocket. Um, an egg is very different. It's more like a, a fortress or something.
0: Or it's a got, planet.
1: Or a planet. Um, something oh, like God. that. Um, <laughs> so, so okay, so that's what male and female are from an evolutionary biologist's point of view. Um, but that's not really how humans tend to view it. So the thing is that you can make M-Preg and F-Preg work if you kind of put those two things at odds with each other. So, for example, like the hyenas. From a certain point of view, hyenas are all, are all male in the sense that they all have... Have penises and scrotum, right? So, like, so yes, from that point of view, they're all male. Um, but from a biological biological point of view, they're half male, half female. Okay, so so there is there, it's impossible for a biological male in this in the definition I've just given any biological female to uh, impregnate one another because that's kind of the whole point of of sexes in the first place. So, you might be wondering, like, why do we have different sexes at all? What's the point? And the basic point is that you don't have, you're unable to impregnate yourself. Because that's the ultimate form of incest, and it's bad for, like, I mean, we all know why incest is bad. Okay. Um, you so, you're not supernatural fandom?
0: <laughs> no, I'm not in supernatural fandom. No, I know. But, <laughs> incest is bad. So is impregnating yourself. You know
1: who you are. <laughs> <laughs> Does that happen? Is that is that a real is self impregnation a trope? Because sadly,
0: yes. Oh, oh
1: my god. Wow. I was gonna say we could invent it and get another notch in our belt, but... No, I mean, okay. I could link you to shit, but, like, I don't really <laughs> want to sit down. <laughs> right, okay. <laughs> so, okay. So, self inbreeding is bad. To break it down, it's bad, because, um... Because... <laughs> don't, because do it, don't, don't do it, kids! Don't do it. It's bad. You'll have very, very inbred offspring, the ultimate inbreeding, because you're breeding with yourself. It is a bad idea. Um... Okay. So, sexes <laughs> exist in the first place, because it prevents you from getting yourself pregnant, and so you are forced to, to have sex with somebody else, um, and so you definitely can't have males and females in the biological sense of pregnant each other. Okay, um, but <laughs> so romantic. but you can make it work if you again sort of play with people's expectations of what male and female are. So, like, just as an example, um, here's like how you could make make Mpreg work is. If, for example, like in Omegaverse, if Omega males and like Alpha B females are hermaphrodites, then you can make it work just fine. Um, so like if if males, like males, like they, they, a male can have a penis and all those things that we associate with males, but be hermaphrodite and be able to get pregnant. Um, the reason that we can't have a sperm combined with a sperm specifically is that, as I told you, sperm are genetic material with a rocket attached, um, and they don't have any of the other things you need to make a baby. So a baby needs like all these different other things. It needs um, organelles, which is the fancy word for all the different parts that make up a cell. Um, when a sperm and egg combine, an offspring gets all of that from the egg because the egg is fortified. It's a fortress. It has all the provisions that that you need to make a baby. You know, genetic material with a rocket attached doesn't have the the machinery that you need to have a healthy baby, so it's just not going to work. Um, so you really need to have sperm and egg combined, but the sperm and egg can combine in a body that humans will not perce- may not perceive as being female or male, if that makes sense. Am I making sense? You can make M-Preg and f work if you have... You sort of play with people's expectations of what males and females are like. So, if, for example, like you have, say, I don't know, an alpha female and an omega female, and you're a mega You could have an alpha female look to have a female body as we, as in society, define it, right? Like vagina, a clit, all that stuff. Um, but then have the alpha female actually be a hermaphrodite and be able to produce sperm. Then that could make your egg work. You still have to have sperm and egg combining somewhere, but. Um, you can have people's bodies, like, fit with people's expectations of what male and female bodies are supposed to look like. Does that make sense? Yeah. Science. <laughs> right. So males and females can look like just about anything. I mean, like, as I have written in this Google Doc, like, um, like you know, females, like, you could even have, like, for example, like, um, males and, like, male and female birds, when they have sex, they just kind of rub their cloacas together, which is basically, like, like tripping or scissoring, right? Um, I'm really hoping that we actually bring cloacas into the world so like you could just have like your alpha female who's a hermaphrodite and an omega female like scissor and like get pregnant like that that would like work based on some biological principles that exist boom just pregnant just like that get on that (laughs) (laughs) yeah so i think it's kind of interesting the way that like what we define as male and female doesn't always outwardly look like male and female as we think of it. Like, a great example being seahorses, right? Like, you could think of that as empreg, though it's a female impregnating a male. Um, and, yeah. They're the, o- they're the OGs. That's the that's the real empreg right there. Yeah, I was gonna
2: say, as long as a male carries the baby, I think that's empreg. <laughs> All right,
1: then. Yeah, exactly. So you're playing with people's
2: expectations. Like, Kindergarten uh, Cop is empreg. No, not Kindergarten Cop. What's that other Schwarzenegger movie
1: the Oh, babies? uh, uh, oh, Oh, damn. Junior? Junior. Mr. Mo- Mr. Mo- no, yeah, Junior. Yeah, it's called Junior. That's
0: how I know that. <laughs> <laughs> junior. Ugh, awful. Hate my life. Um, what was I gonna say? Okay, good. We've we've now... We've now figured out a way to do this and given everyone an assignment to go yeah. write scissoring and preg. <laughs>
1: um...
0: F-Preg, actually. You're correct. My apologies. We've given everyone an assignment to go write scissoring and preg. Um... So the other topic we wanted to cover before we get into the physics portion of today de aging.
1: Oh, we're gonna do wing thick. Okay, that's fine. Um, so yeah, so de aging. Um, what I have written on the J doc <laughs> is stem cells question mark maybe. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I don't know, right. see. I don't know of any. And obviously, I'm a layman, so I don't know this. Um, I don't know of much actual like scientific basis for actually getting younger but there has been recent there have been recent cases in the news about people who are aging much more slowly than they should be yeah there's
1: like babies who stay babies forever like that's like a horrible like tlc
0: not horrible but you know just like sad tlc thing thing someone should be like 30 but they still look like they're a toddler or something yeah yeah
2: crew, you'll know this. Remember there's a QI episode where Stephen Fry tells us that there's like it's either all jellyfish or just some jellyfish, or basically like, I'm old, guess what? Starting from zero, and then
1: they like turn yes, back into true. a baby. That's true. Um they're called uh, they're called immortal jellyfish. Crew. Yeah. Um yeah, they're very those are interesting. So um, like hmm. So I mean that's not exactly de-aging, so much as they kind of just go through cycles. Like they're almost like phoenix like a phoenix, you know, they go through cycles of being young and old. Um Which is, I guess you could make that as a de-aging thing. But what the immortal jellyfish basically do, um, I'm glad I read an article about this recently because I didn't research it before going on this (laughs) this podcast, but I happen to have read an article about it recently. There was one in New York Times Magazine, I think. But anyway, um, but yeah, immortal jellyfish, what they do is uh, when they get old, they go into this. this kind of spore state so a lot of animals like if they're put in really tough circumstances like the vacuum of space as i mentioned with panspermia they revert to the spore form so it's like this really like tough dried up form that's almost like a seed i guess it's like a seed and then when it it gets exposed to good conditions again it can kind of blossom back into its young and healthy self. Well, yeah, isn't um, that like fungal colonies kind of like all being sort of both like interconnected and kind of immortal in some ways because they're like giant and live under rainforests? It's not exactly like that because this is like, this can be one organism. Like fungus colonies are like groups of yeah. organisms, right? Um, but yeah, so I think you can definitely have that with jellyfish. It's kind of tough to do with, um, with, with humans or humanoids because basically the problem is that like the immortal jellyfish are basically able to turn cells back into stem cells. And the problem with, with humans and our relatives is that um when you try to get stem cells to work or de-aging to work, um, you basically just end up with cancer, out of control cancer. Um oh, okay. because stem cells are like really intense dividers, right? Like they can they can divide very fast because they're found mostly in babies and embryos. And the problem with trying to de-age anything is that and put it back in this sort of stem cell protoplasmic state is that you're like basically exposing a person to huge cancer risk. Oh my god! You could write like a really horrible, sad de aging
0: crew is taking notes right now. Um, can I just say this is awful? And I really hope people who had strong feelings about conflicts of interest in business hours aren't listening to this. But this played a huge part in the unfinished and never will be finished third part of that series. Good job. <laughs> now you've made everybody sad
1: but yeah i think the real problem with with de-aging or the the issue is fundamentally that um you're fighting entropy so like what aging is what aging really is is just like being on fire extremely slowly good this is really true so like, aging is just like the you know you're made up of carbon molecules just like a wood in a fire is made of carbon molecules and you know, they're just slowly being oxidized, just like uh, the carbon molecule little log it oxidized as it burns. So it's just like being on fire like extremely slowly. And you can't like reverse a fire, and so it's very
0: hard to reverse aging accordingly.
1: We're all just raging against entropy, Yay. sadly.
0: This so it's really... kind of depressing. But yeah. um makes um approaching 30 even more fun for me, guys. Thanks. For... <laughs> I'm just, imagine myself slowly on fire. <laughs> The only actual, the real plausible way to do
1: aging is essentially to do something really unethical with a clone and a brain transplant, as I as I put it in the Google Doc.
2: Um, or Krang. Krang. Or what? Krang, from the Ninja Turtles. He's a brain <laughs> in a jar. You could just transplant oh, right. him into yeah. a new
1: body. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yep, yep. For a minute, you were so alone there, MK. I know, I was like, God, how does
2: nobody know the Ninja Turtles? What's wrong <laughs> with <funny>. this world? <laughs>
0: Just need good a bit stuff. of fighting. All right, that's good to know. So, all right, that brings us to the end of the biological question. So, I can't make any more sperm jokes after this.
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm sure you'll is... find a way. Always <laughs> a possibility. I'm going to keep
0: trying. I hope not to disappoint. But um, now we get to move on to the part that I was really intrigued by: parallel universes. Mm. Huge fandom trope. Huge sci-fi trope in general. How plausible is this?
1: Right. um... So we really don't know for sure whether there are par- parallel universes, but it's possible. So, you know, this is one of those things where it hasn't hasn't been proven or disproven. Theoretically, so here's how physics works, <laughs> just to give you a bit of background. So how physics works is, in, in general, the theoretical physicists come up with all these equations that explain the universe. And then the then the other physicists go out and try to see if the world actually fits these equations and if it does it's great and if it doesn't they go back to the theoretical physicists and say your equations are wrong fix them uh, so we're at the stage where the theoretical physicists equations about describing the universe or the multiverse i guess as it were um, definitely uh include parallel universes but the other physicists haven't gone out to check whether they're actually real or not so but they can't <laughs> in in theory uh, or the, according to the equations they they could work. So the so to explain the kind of form that parallel universes take, uh, there's a couple of ways to look at it, or a couple of levels. This is where I have to use a lot of metaphors, because physics is kind of hard to make concrete. So um, so the way I put it, when I was talking to Maid Brown earlier... Uh, make, them, make them sexy metaphors, poetry. <laughs> well, the way I put it was that I I, med- I, I said, uh, imagine imagine Sims. So you're making a sim, right? And you know how, like, you have all those different personality traits and stuff you can put points into, right? Did no one play the sims? Uh, like, no, but I've played role-playing games. So. RPGs, okay, fine. So you imagine you just have an RPG character of some sort, okay? And you have um, you have these stats, and you can put different amount of points in each stat, right? Um, and so one level of parallel universes is that you can imagine that every possible combination of stats to make an RPG character exists somewhere. And the equivalent of these RPG character stats in universes are things like, for example, uh, the strength of gravity, right? That could that could be different from universe to universe. Um, another thing could be like the mass of a neutrino, right? Uh, that's a fundamental particle. The mass of it would definitely affect things. Um, so there's all these different little variables that define what our universe is like that could vary between different universes. So, so that's kind of one level. Imagine that we have every single possible combination of RPG character stats, and we let them loose. And those are our universes. Yeah, but some of them, like, they, it's like, they have a fatal flaw, which is that they can't exactly exist. Right. Some because... of them can't exist. So, like, so, for example, like, I guess in, in some, in some RPGs, if you have, like, I don't know, like, Constitution 1, then you're, then your your person will die, because they're not healthy enough to even be alive, right? Um... And that's true for some universes. So some of the, these combinations of stats aren't going to work. Like if the gravity constant, for example, is very high, then the universe will just collapse back in on itself, and it's done. Um, so not all of these are going to work, but some of some of these combinations of stats will work. And so those are those will be the universes we have. And then the other level of parallel universes we could have is so imagine so we have all these combinations of stats, right? And so then imagine that like we focus on one of these um, these. RPG characters or, or Sims or whatever, and you let it loose, and immediately it starts doing things, right? So it it like your character starts like hacking at goblins, or if it's a sim, like walking into walls and getting itself lit on fire, and um, getting, getting pregnant, <laughs> I'm getting pregnant. Okay, and so at each point that something happens to this universe, it branches off. So now there is one sim, and they have the exact same stats, but something different has happened to them. Does that make sense? Yeah. So every decision creates a branch
0: because you could have gone. Well, it
1: doesn't have to be a decision per se, because like decisions involve agency or free will, and we don't have to have sentient life anywhere in this picture for for that to happen. So like, it's just like it could like, be like, it could be something as simple as two protons bash into each other in one universe, and the other universe those two protons don't bash into each other. You know what I mean? It's just it's right. just probabilities, right? Exactly, it's probabilities. Um, so those are the two sort of types or levels of parallel universes that are thought to exist.
0: Um, so,
1: but most, I mean, I guess that this is basically the same as sort of all, all kind of alien life form being humanoid, like all parallel universes or AUs are fundamentally still like humanoid most of the time. I mean, is that, that that's, is that not viable well, at all? Is- I mean, it's viable if that universe diverged from our universe not long ago. Or,
0: you know, like, not like, or recent enough that they would also have humanoids. Do you so what I mean? would be a completely misguided, dumb question. But if a universe, would it be more likely that we would interact with a divergent-slash-parallel universe because we had branched out from it more recently than... Uh,
1: not necessarily. Just because okay. in terms of where these universes are, it's not like... I say, I say that they branched off from us recently, and so if I, when I say that, you picture a tree and you picture those branches being close to each other. But the truth is, in terms of where all these parallel universes are, they're right here... They're right. They're right here where I am. They're in Toronto HQ. They're in NYC HQ. They're they're right here with us in the room with us right now. Listeners, there are with you as well. I sound like Cecil. Um, <laughs> 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 um but they they're right here. It's in terms of like where parallel universes are. It's like imagine uh, we have Flatland, right? So we have two dimensional people living on a sheet of paper, and they have no notion of up and down because they're flat, right? Um, so then we put another piece of paper on top of it with other two-dimensional people. And then we tell the people on, like, the first sheet of paper, hey, there's another universe right next to you. And they look around, they're like, we don't see another universe. That's because it's right above it,
0: right? Is this, like, how my math teacher in high school used to be obsessed with about how time is the fourth dimension, isn't it? Just, yeah, yeah, it is. It's, yeah. Yeah. it's okay.
1: just, like, we something we can't perceive. But poetry, so what you were saying that, like, the most viable model for, like, how – things would diverge as like some kind of you know traumatic physical event in the universe like a black hole so you were kind of saying that like oh well that's not that's not in terms of how they branch off and in terms of how the universes could be connected to one another so that's the other problem there's the first problem of do parallel universes exist and that the answer to that is possibly we're not sure the second question is if they exist can we get there and there's a couple of ideas about how that might happen. So one of them is a black hole. The idea is that a black hole um, kind of sucks things out of our universe and kind of spits them out in another one. But um, isn't the whole idea, like, if
0: you go into a black hole, isn't there something called spaghettification that's going to happen?
1: Yeah. <that's laughs> well, wait, but... You know, nothing <laughs> we can get through. So we're we, not... were, we were talking about this, though, in terms of, like, the like Star Trek transporter, because mm. I, th- I think the explanation for what it does kind of in universe is that like it, you know, takes your, mo- your molecules, shreds them and rematerializes them. And wait, that's basically what a black hole does. And you were saying that in order to survive going through a black hole, like someone would have to be prepared to rematerialize you right, on the exactly. other side. So the, pro- the fundamental problem is not actually the fact that you're shredded into molecules, which or, or sub molecules really, it shreds you into like, you know protons and and shit but uh that's not actually the problem even though it sounds like the problem. Um the actual
0: problem is that black holes not only obliterate matter but information. Yes, that's, there's that's no the real problem. never pass a message through to be like hey do us a solid. And Yeah. <laughs> Wait, <laughs> but, and but what if if if, if, if my bits again? But if right. you are traveling between two
1: universes that are the same like couldn't, you know, it, Could it, you know, something moving from one universe to another, like, somehow be copied into its, like, alternate version in the other universe? But, like, how would, I mean, but how would the person in the parallel universe know that a parallel version of, like, how would, would, like, parallel Kirk, like, know that, like... The other Kirk is coming through at this point. White- well, that's what I'm saying. Is like that's that might be a plausible explanation for like how the Star Trek like mirror universe exists. Is like that there what there was like a transporter there like ready to rematerialize them, and you know they're the same ah, right. person I mean. technically. And you were saying no, okay. they're not. They're not the same person because okay, I, I, I get what you're saying because mirror yeah, Kirk have the that. same brain as right. Okay, as I know. Yeah, exactly. So the problem is they're not exactly the same person because if Kirk were rematerialized by a transporter that was programmed for parallel Kirk, Kirk would be rematerialized, but he would be rematerialized as evil Kirk, is the problem. Um, So, like, the... I mean, we can get we'll get into teleportation in a little bit. But for a teleporter to work, it has to be able to read every single part of you, including the finest details of your brain. And so, obviously, the brain of evil Kirk is not the same as the brain of our Kirk because one is evil and one isn't. So obviously, well, they, yeah, but isn't differently? Isn't that also kind of like nature versus nurture? Maybe like no, like, not necessarily because like if okay, so like okay, for example, I say. Say we have a behavior that we know 100% you weren't born with. So like, I don't know, like uh, reading. You weren't born knowing how to read, right? So if I take a snapshot of your brain while you're while you're reading, it, it will still like
0: be reflected in your brain structure right now that you happen to be reading at the moment. That that begs the question, begs the question is the wrong way to say it, but then that sort of leads to the query of like, do you, when you're rematerialized, are you rematerialized in the exact state that you were dematerialized or are you just rematerialized with all the component parts and the exact Mm same construction, which is like a slightly different thing, right? Like because you could dematerialize me while I'm in the middle of like eating a hot dog, but like that doesn't necessarily mean that when I come out on the other end, I'm still going to be eating that same hot dog. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I do know what you mean.
1: So, I mean, this is sort of branching off of parallel universes into teleportation, but, um... I think we all knew we were going to come here eventually. Yeah, right, okay. (laughs) So, so... Teleportation. So to, to backtrack into what um, I mean, we still haven't really addressed the problem. How paral- I still don't believe that black holes are a viable way to teleport to the universe. No,
0: obviously not. Like, yeah, you, you can't get, internet- <laughs> yeah, you like, can't get internet- through. Yeah, I'm it. I the only it's- person who's like really not cool with like having my shit like broken down into protons? I'm really not cool with that. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I just say I mean, that was lined like- in a transporter beam? So <laughs> I'm mean, like, I really want a transporter, but like, I don't want a transporter if I'm gonna have to like fling. Lunch. To whoever, and just be like, we can't get any information through a black hole. And when I come out on the other end, I will have been broken into my most basic electrical impulses. I have a good feeling that somehow, magically, they're going to have gotten my note that I passed them in study hall that this will be a grand adventure, fuck that <laughs>
1: right, I agree um, so actually the, the most plausible thing is to is to basically rip a hole in space time um, I mean that's it, <laughs> yeah. easy, As which you would, do which is not easy and would take the power of
0: like many many stars but um... yeah because I mean if the current mass of the existing objects in space haven't been enough to like rip <laughs> space time and only create gravity right. walls then like what the fuck actually has to happen Right, it has to be really.
1: It has to be something really, really intense. Jesus, yes, but... Jesus, lion, Aslan, open up, <laughs> open a, open a fucking closet door. We're all going to Narnia. You know, Matron hardly ever swears. I think I think she's picking it up. <laughs> that is not true. <laughs> you just say a fucking closet door, like, and you've been saying that for years. Every time I swear, you're like, Matron, you never swear. <laughs> <laughs> you've been saying that for like like four years. Sorry. Okay, maybe. Maybe I should condition you some
0: more. <laughs> just every other word, make sure it's a swear word. <laughs> yeah, that'll do it. That'll convince me. No, listen,
1: <laughs> in
2: high school, somebody told me that I never lied and I never swore, and I started just lying and swearing for, like, every
0: sentence. You are also, like, the most magical Aspie in the world, though, okay? Yeah. Yeah. Science. Let's move on. <laughs> so, yeah, so teleportation. okay.
1: So teleportation—the only way that's going to work is, and unfortunately, it's going to be that. Well, okay, let me think. So how technical I want this explanation to be? That non- could be <laughs> technical. Uh, okay, let's make it non technical. So essentially, what's going to happen is we scan you in extreme detail, like the finest detail you can imagine, like down to the individual atoms, right? Nice. Um, so we know the we know the exact position and the like of, of all of the atoms in your all the atoms in your body, and then. Um, you get broken down, sorry, um, and the exact copy of you is recreated in the other place that so you're it's, being transported it's to. it's not you, then. It's like, it's another version of you, technically. Well, no, it is you. I mean, like, what's... I mean, I guess this is getting into something, something theological, but, like, who are you but to the sum of, of the, you know, position of the atoms in your brain?
2: Oh, so that's, that's a, a whole different philosophy of Slash
0: Podcast. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm... <laughs> I'm this is question. why we need aslan this is this is like the question of like is the soul somewhere in there right traveling? exactly is there a soul yeah i'm a scientist i don't
1: believe in souls so can um, we go to nardia after we go through puberty
0: yeah no. <laughs> <laughs> um and so start wearing hose after after you engage in concealed estrus you can go to <laughs> yeah. that's on it off uh, yep, that is
1: the trade-off. So, so yeah. So, I, 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 would. I'm of the philosophical position that if you're captured down to your individual atoms and you're recreated, that you are the same person. Um, but you know, some people can disagree with me. But that is how transporters would have to work, um, and that's how they do work. People use them to transport uh, laser beams at the moment. Dude, speaking of which, we were going to say that, like, people are working on making the warp drive, and everyone yes, should be really excited true. about that. We yeah, are working on making the warp drive. For series, for real. Yes. Na- NASA's on it. Nice. Oh, yeah, that's really happening. I'm so excited. No, really, it can totally work, because uh, it, it, it actually kind of games the speed of light thing by basically uh, compressing space-time. So if, like, space yes. is actually itself compressed, then you can travel across it like, from a certain point of view, faster than the speed of light.
0: Oh my god, it's um, a wrinkle
1: in time. Yeah, exactly. Yes! It <laughs> is kind of like a wrinkle in time, yeah. Actually. That is so cool! That's it's so not really, really cool. a tesseract and that you're not really, like, teleporting from one end to the other, but you're compressing space and moving across the compressed space, and so you're you're kind of, like, from a certain point of view, going faster than the speed of light. So, oh my god, scariest part of wrinkle in time is when they're in the two-dimensional universe. I thought the scariest part was when they were, like, faced with it. That was, like, so scary. Yeah,
0: Yeah, I guess so. I don't know. It's been so long since I've read that book, I don't even know what these references are. (laughs) You gotta
1: read it. You gotta read uh, Wind in the Door, Dancing Inside the Mitochondria. Good stuff.
0: (laughs) There's
2: actually a graphic novel of A Wrinkle in Time now.
0: Beautiful.
1: (laughs) Oh, yeah, I just saw that. That looks good. Yeah. Um, Um... but okay. yeah it's it is it is something that is being worked on um it's kind of interesting stuff so basically what you do is you compress the space time ahead of you and you expand it before you for balance right yeah and so
0: it works um so I mean, let's take this as a jumping off point for like things that happened in science fiction that I didn't think I would live to see and that maybe I will what how does this do me for the possibilities of time travel then
1: Ah, right. So the reason I wanted to bring up parallel universes first is because their time travel and parallel universes are kind of inextricable from one another. So time travel is one of those things where, again, it's like the equation. The equations show that it could work, but nobody's actually proven it. Um, but according to the equations, the way it would work. Okay, so you were you mentioned in an email that whether it uh, it would go according to the Back to the Future model or the New Trek model. Yes. And The short answer is it's the New Trek model. So basically, back yes. in time. <laughs> You would create a parallel universe that's altered in whatever way that you change the past. So, if you go back and like I don't know, prevent the assassination of Kennedy, then you've created a new parallel universe um, in which Kennedy is alive, and it does it kind of solves the, the paradox because you come from a universe in which he did die. Right. So it that would that would have to be the way it works
0: according to the equations. Um, there's no such thing as like so basically all of those things about any stargate related cascading failure shit is all complete lies
1: or like the doctor who stuff with like a fixed point in time or that sort of thing like that there's some things you can change some things you can't um paradoxes are pretty neatly solved by the parallel universe thing so there's not really much to worry about um, in terms of paradoxes or time loops or anything, because when you travel in time, you make a
0: parallel universe, and that's it. Wait, so wait. that actually—that actually sort of touches. You mentioned time loops. That touches on one of the questions that we got as a mail. Oh, right. right. Yes, the Groundhog Day thing.
1: Oh yeah. Right. Yeah, that's not a problem because again, like you travel in time, you create a parallel universe. So, well, like, wouldn't it loop- be like
0: every day was a parallel? Like, yeah,
1: new, a new parallel universe. That's what I was thinking.
0: You wouldn't really be living the same day, right? You would be living a different. You would be living in a different universe every time. But isn't the usually the
1: premise of a time loop that there's some kind of paradox, and you have to solve the paradox to break the time loop? Or like, but there's, and there's learn no reason, your lesson? But there's no reason for there to be a paradox in the first place because if you have parallel universes, then you're not going to break time when you travel in time. Couldn't we say that that yeah. was
2: the whole plot of Sliders, and that the lesson they failed? Oh my to god! Like, was like, pay fucking attention. they slid into their own universe like six times
0: (laughs) i don't know that like i don't know that generally speaking that when people do time loop stories or like when people create fiction with time loops the issue is that there's like a par like a quote-unquote like paradox to address it's almost always like something bad happened, and you, like, you need to learn your lesson, like, with Groundhog Day or something. Okay. Yeah. So, but in that case, instead... Well, in of, that case. Yeah. So in
1: that case, you would have to do it to somebody, so, like, somebody is doing it to you. So, like, someone's
0: trapping you in a time loop, right? Essentially. Yes. Uh,
1: okay, so that, okay, so basically, if you, so, I guess what we're saying is that, in, with a parallel universe model, somebody would be forcing you to live the same day in different parallel universes, basically. Over and over. Yeah. In, diff- in different universes. Okay. So I guess that would work, but potentially, but the thing is that the amount of energy involved would have to be immense. So the, so the limiting factor with time travel is that it might be possible, but it would take a lot of energy. So like the level of energy that we are on as a planet is we mostly use our own Earth's energy, right? So right. we use like oil and stuff. But, and the idea is that we have to upgrade to using our stars energy, solar energy, right? Um... And so eventually, the theory is that we could upgrade to using multiple stars for energy, right? So there's certain, like, thresholds of the amount of energy we need to use to achieve certain things. Does that make sense? Yeah. Uh, and so we would have to be, like, on an interstellar level to be able to harness enough energy to time travel. And so it would have to be, for somebody to set that up, they'd have to have a lot of money to burn,
0: basically. <laughs> well, I'm um, waiting for Richard Branson to get off. Now. <laughs> Uh, okay, so I think that that sort of neatly addresses I always find it really interesting how time travel and parallel universes completely flow into one another because essentially what you're saying is that time travel is there's no such thing as like the the back to the future model of time travel at all. It's literally just sliding into a parallel universe every time you potentially go back
1: right so you're you're going back in time, you're basically going back to. A parallel universe that, bran- that,
0: that branches off at a certain point in time that you're traveling to, basically. Excellent. All right. Before we get any deeper into this spiral of facts and strangeness, we wanted to wrap up by touching on two elements that you guys had talked about mm-hmm. a little bit in this document you put together. Um, the science of world building and what the best and most effective way to do this is. And science as a plot component And I'm going to start with science as a plot component, because I think that that is something that comes into play with almost every writer, because I I think that we use it, and especially if we're writing science fiction or writing um, in fandoms that utilize elements of science fiction, like, how do we do that intelligently, effectively, like, because I think a lot of the times when people fuck stuff up in writing, it's because they don't know that they're doing it wrong, or that they don't know Mm -hmm. that they should even be considering that they're doing it wrong.
1: Yeah. Well, my my biggest question for poetry was like, I mean, as a as a a lay a lay person, like I feel like I could read a ton of fic that had bad science in it and not, you know, really care that much yeah. because it's like a wonderful mechanism for like, you know, nice plotty stuff or sexy shenanigans, more like. Um, and I was I was like, but dude, you know, you're actually a scientist. Like when you, you read things, out. yeah. Oh, I totally get thrown out of stories sometimes. I mean, it it how do I put it? So like almost like the thing that kind of throws me out the most is is kind of um, abuses of the philosophy of science, as it were. So like for example, like uh, things that talk about like something evolving to be a certain way, uh, like something like uh, how do I put it? It's like evolution crafted. Like I don't know something like Doctor, like evolution crafted the Time Lord to be the perfect humanoid or something. Um, like that will throw me out really fast because it's it's on, on a, it's like a philosophical level fundamentally wrong. Like like evolution doesn't do anything; it doesn't design or create anything for a purpose. It just things just it, it's fundamentally random. So like <laughs> random Evolution's changes like- happen. Random changes happen. Some of them survive better than others, and that's it. Um, so like. So these sorts of things on a philosophical level, something that it? like it it's, ascribes like intentionality to scientific processes, like that sort of stuff will throw me out really fast. Because yeah, poetry and I, the... poetry and I uh, shared a high school science teacher who, whenever um, whenever anybody would say that like the proton wants to do something, and he's, <laughs> he's he's like a large Germanic man, so imagine him saying this, he would be like, the proton does not want to do anything. <laughs> It has no volition! (laughs) (laughs) Right, exactly. That's the sort of thing that throws me out really fast. Um, And the other thing that throws me out, and this is fast, and this is why I I kind of um, went into this in this section of the Google Doc, what also kind of throws me out is, like, sort of bad process. So, like, okay, so you can have science where it's just like, oh, I did some experiments, and I've concluded XYZ, and XYZ can be something outlandish, but that's okay. Um, the real thing that throws me out is if they actually describe the experiments that lead to XYZ and the they just don't sound like it all like anything anyone does in an actual lab. Um that's what kind of can throw me out a lot. So I think that it's it's one thing that you can do that will really help science in your story if it's a plot component, is to research like the process. So like if you show people using like scientific equipment that I recognize or things that like feel like a real lab, then they can draw a completely outlandish conclusion. i will just kind of roll with it because I might like, but oh, they look like it's science you know uh so like i can recognize what they're doing so uh you don't even necessarily have to explain it so like, a good example is like if you have like a sherlock case pick right and you have um i mean like and so sherlock does his science he concludes like oh this soil is from cardiff so you don't have to describe exactly what combination of chemicals that he knows that it came from cardiff but if you show him like using the proper equipment for a soil analysis so for example like if you were doing a soil analysis, he would first dilute the soil in water. Then he would probably um, put the diluted soil in a centrifuge and separate out the different components of the soil. And he'd be using pipettes to transfer the different components of the soil from tube to tube, so forth and so on. So if you, were, if you describe the process well, um, then I'll accept his conclusion that the soil's from Cardiff because like he did all the steps. You know what I mean? What Where's you really want is the it? CSI montage. <laughs> right. And that can be really fun. I think it, I think it can be really fun because, uh, because I, the science I and mean, one thing that I love about science as opposed to like other, like what I, what I loved about like when I was doing like, I don't know, like undergrad courses or so, that sort of thing. It's like, if you become an academic in like humanities, you'll just sit alone reading books for the rest of your life. Um, and that's, it's kind of sad to me because I'm an extroverted person. So science is fundamentally collaborative. Like you can't do meaningful science by yourself. Like it's, it's always, it's really like something you work together on. So it can be a really fun plot component to have characters doing science together. Um, cause it's really a very collaborative thing. So like, uh, Why are, There are so many lonely scientists though. In, 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 like, in fiction, that's not really, that's not really what it's actually like. And I can tell you cause that's my job. Um, I mean, you can't be a scientist in a vacuum, um, like, if nothing else, even if you do all your experiments by yourself, there's a process called peer review that's, um, that's in science, uh, where you have to have other scientists who know what they're talking about look at your work and make sure that it's legit. Um, so that alone is, is like, a, you have to interact with your peer reviewers to make oh. sure that your science is legit. Um, And so science is a fundamentally collaborative enterprise, and a lot of times, like, lots of scientists work together on something, and that can be really, really fun, especially I can tell you, like, stories from what it's like to be a scientist, like, a lot of it just involves, like, really entertaining situations, like, um, like, you, like, I don't know, like, for example, you're, um, you're, like, here's an example from, like, say, I don't know, like, a DNA, like, bioengineering lab. You, um, you run, like, a, you run a, a plate of DNA, like, over and over again, it never works, and, like, the scientists are all pulling their hair, why doesn't this work, why doesn't this work, and it turns out, like, somebody, like, spilled coffee in the plate reading machine, like, you know, there's <laughs> all <laughs> kinds of, I mean, like, you know, like, there's, there's all kinds of shenanigans, I mean, that's, like, the mildest of shenanigans, I've gotten into into much greater shenanigans than that, over the course of my work. <laughs> Can I say...
2: There's a really cool science anecdote that I like, which is, you know, like a lot of people have to write like a, whatever, I'm just going to write a quick paper. I just need to like practice writing a paper and submitting it to a journal or whatever. And one paper, there's like a, an award every year for useless papers that have been written or seemingly useless papers. And one of the best ones was this guy who wrote a paper called, Do Mosquitoes Like Stinky Cheese? And all he did was test whether or not mosquitoes were attracted to things like Stilton. It turns
0: out that yes, they are. And did it got actually, published. Did that guy win an Ig Nobel? He
2: did. That is exactly oh, right. the prize nice. he won.
0: I thought you had to, like, die to win an Ig Nobel. No, that's not no. <laughs> no. Oh, sorry. So means, like, Ig Nobel is not a bad thing.
2: It's just, like, what a useless <laughs> yeah. paper. So he wrote this paper, whatever, got it published. Everyone was like, God, what a stupid paper. <laughs> It turns out that that paper was instrumental in malaria research. (laughs) Wow. It turns out that mosquitoes have an excellent sense of smell and can smell when you're sick and are more attracted to people who are already ill. Oh, because of like
1: decay in the cheese. Yeah.
2: So it turns out that people who are going to get malaria are people who tend to be already sick because malarial mosquitoes are even more attracted to the smell of your sickness.
0: Good. Wow! Thank you. Everyone take another shower
1: tonight. Here's a good anecdote that I feel would work well in a, in a thick, actually.
0: This is something that actually happened to me. Um, and this,
1: this could be a fun uh, science scene. So one time I was um, doing some science. I was working with, um, with a very powerful base. It was sodium hydroxide. Um, so a lot of people don't know this, but bases, they're like the opposite of acids. They're actually just as dangerous and corrosive as acids are. Um, a lot of people don't realize this. And I was working with a very powerful base and I spilled it all over my pants. And I had to, oh, I mean, like, I think the protocol for this, you just have to strip your pants off. Like, you don't, it doesn't matter. There are people around me. I cannot not give a shit. Like, you just have to peel your pants off and like get in the, in the safety shower, which is right here. this is like the beginning of some sexy fucking <laughs> Right, exactly. And so like, and so if you that happened, I would like totally sympathize with that because that totally happens in, in labs sometimes. Like sometimes like something spills and you have to strip your clothes off and go in a safety shower in front of everybody else, ass naked. Wait no, that actually happens in a really good like Trekfic that I read. Like Spock and Kirk get some serious acid like all over themselves and like have to deal with it like in the shower. It's really good. That
2: shit happens in actual TV episodes too. There's the NCIS episode Swack, where they are all exposed to a biological weapon. Um, and there is also an episode of Rosolian Isles where they're exposed to like some kind of chemical weapon or something. And Rosolian Isles have to strip down with two of Isles as like science minions or whatever
1: who turn oh no. out to be nudists. <laughs> oh <my God.
2: laughs> like nudists in a relationship, and it's kind of amazing.
1: And, and they, they, but they still don't have sex. Uh, no. <laughs> <I'll> laugh. What <laughs> I'm trying to say here is that, like, including the process of science can be really fun, um, yeah. and add something really cool to, uh, to your fix. So, um, anyway, I should write a primer sometime, like, on AO3 or Tumblr about, like,
0: what different labs are like you in know different fields. Really- what also would be useful, in addition to, like, knowing what different labs would be like, I oftentimes find that I want to know something, but I don't know where to start looking. Mm. So, I mean, one of the, I don't I, I feel like I still have this pinboarded somewhere, but one, a thing that used to exist on the internet, and I loved this resource, um, was... An emergency room nurse, I think, long ago, who was, like, big into the X-Files fandom, had once written, like, a serious great document explaining, like, what actually happens to you if you roll up into the ER with gunshot wounds. And it was nice. It was absolutely fantastic because you can read news articles about it and no one's going to talk about the process. You can read scholarly articles about it and you probably won't understand it. And if you want an actual sort of like practical explanation of what actually happens, it's much harder to find that information. Mm. So you should definitely put together a primer. There should be like a a database for this stuff. Just like people. Yeah, I think there
1: should be such things as science betas and I volunteer as tribute. Uh, I think that
0: should happen. <laughs> I think that should be a thing, that there should be science basis. I've always said that, like, one thing that fandom really needs to get its shit together and put together is something called, like, the guidance counselor's office, where people who work in specific areas go in and write, like, a primer about, like, how they do their job, and then you have the open comments where people who are writing something involving this can ask questions from someone who is actually like on the ground. So like you could have a nurse, you could have a scientist, you could have like a police officer, you have lawyers, things like that. And you get much more useful information than you would get if you were just groping blindly. Right.
1: <laughs> and this is why I hate Tumblr just as much as Prue does because Tumblr would be a terrible
0: medium in which to do this. I hate Tumblr so much I swear to God my brain leaks acid.
1: <laughs> like, <laughs> we have three might work for this if we, if we had metas and then people well, no, he, people write like sort of Stuff on there sometimes. Right, but it?
2: that's like the bane of my existence. Until they have a separation filter yeah, for that or something, yeah. that's I'm gonna because like.
0: Because is ridiculously spoiled and also a hypocrite. Because remember what you used to say about posting thick to Tumblr, and what are you doing now? Shut up. Yeah, <laughs> I can grow Blaster. as a person. Eat it. Um, no. You don't get to use lawyered. I can use lawyered on you. No. <laughs> yes. No. <laughs> It is law. I disagree. <laughs> right. Infinity.
1: And no. God. Yeah. It's crazy how many hoops people jump through to just, like, communicate on Tumblr. It's crazy. It's completely absurd. Of all the questions you asked me, this was kind of the hardest for me to answer in terms of, like, how to do research on science if you don't know science, because yeah, I've been doing science for so long that I don't, I, like, I, it's, like, hard, almost hard for me to remember what it was like to not be able to go on, like, read, go and read scholarly papers, um, I've been, as uh, as Madron knows, I've been doing science from like a really obscenely young age, like an age that I probably shouldn't have been allowed near like. machines at all. Um, but anyway, but let's don't don't anyway, I don't need to go into details. But the point is, I've been like I've just had chemistry kits and all that sort of thing like forever. Um. So, so that's that's a really difficult question. So, uh, okay. So, autumn, uh, the the first instinct is usually to go on Wikipedia. Um, which is a problem, not not necessarily because of fact-checking. Actually, most of the sci- like hard science and math articles on Wikipedia are written by scientists and are factually accurate. This can get somewhat fuzzy if you're going into topics like uh, like the stuff we're talking about with concealed estrus and stuff, because that tends to have political implications for humans, and so those articles tend to be somewhat questionable. Right. Um, but if you're talking about something like, I don't know, like, uh, like Parallel Universe or something, you know, that sort of stuff, I mean... Especially if you're getting into extreme technical details, like uh, like if you were if you heard my story about safety precautions for for handling strong bases, and you go up to look that up on Wikipedia, that will definitely be written by a scientist. The problem is that it tends to be done in extremely abstruse and dry style. That's very hard to parse. Um, even I've been very much stymied by, by Wikipedia articles at times um, because it's like written by somebody who's doing something in a very very abstract. And hard to well, that's what, it, that's what it's good to go to YouTube and just watch one of those things that's like, how to do the thing. <laughs> well, that's yeah, true. That's, yeah, I mean, YouTube videos are often a good way to go because they will have visual elements and auditory elements that will help explain things. Um, so that's often better than Wikipedia. Another thing you can do is go on Wikipedia and look at the, at the links at the bottom of the page. So they often have, like, uh, off-site or, like, related the sites might be better explained than the Wikipedia article itself. Um, but yeah, YouTube can work pretty well. The problem is fact-checking, because some people on YouTube are, like, ridiculous. I mean, I remember when I was doing all this research on parallel universes for this podcast, like, some of this stuff I, I saw, like, the YouTube video began... All, everything we're about to tell you is 100% true <laughs> there, are, there are millions of parallel universes and I'm like whoa whoa whoa! there we're not sure that they even exist like this is um, so just hang on every second so actually one great way to fact check a video is like if someone sounds extremely certain or they're like everything in this is true <laughs> you should probably avoid it um, poetry needs because... to science better the entire internet <laughs> basically yeah, like scientists very much talk in terms of like we think that or there is evidence that you you probably have heard me say that many many times over the course of this podcast. As, um, you, should. As you should, right? And scientists, yeah, like, like we have to be we have to be careful because anything can end up being disproven at a certain time. Um, so yeah,
0: extreme certainty is often a red flag that something is a bad source. I'm gonna wrap this up just because we're approaching two hours of recording now. Oh wow, okay. Um, with one closing thought for people who are writers and potentially looking at this and feeling overwhelmed Um, as someone who has bullshitted her way through a number of careers in narrative format, I have to say that one thing you have to keep in mind is hit the, hit the high points in terms of what you're writing and don't be afraid to skip a lot of stuff. Yeah. Because in terms of what you're working on, unless, unless this sort of like the, The fine details are actually instrumental to your plot. They actually do much more to detract from your writing than they contribute. So, for example, if I was writing about a character who was an ER doctor, I would know just enough to address a couple of things and make it feel uh, totally realistic to the story. And I would do, I would do research just to make sure that it read is totally realistic, but I would not like torture myself by making sure that every single action is realistic and perfectly researched because the other half of this is once you've done that research, it is almost impossible to resist the urge to shoehorn that shit into your story somehow. (laughs) And you don't need to do it. I've seen people do it. It hasn't helped their story. And a lot of times I've hit the back button because I felt that there was a little too much out there. But that's that's going to be my closing thought on this, and I'm going to say this is the time where we're all going to do our recommendations for the week. hmm
1: hey Hooray! Uh, so my... So we mentioned um, Frigian Choices by Fresny. Um, I have that on my list. Maybe it's on yours too, Prue. This is an amazing Sherlock Omegaverse series uh, that I guess my 100% scientist seal of approval. Um, it's really well-researched. Well um, I mean, you can tell the author definitely just read a lot of stuff about, um, like, biology and how it might apply to the Omegaverse. And more than that, what I really like about it is that it explores the sort of social consequences of science. So I really, you know, I like science, but I also like to think about how science and all of its implications affect, you know, interactions between human beings or between other beings that aren't human, depending on the fandom. Um, and... This series does an amazing job. So this is Phrygian Choices, spelled P-H-R-Y-G-I-A-N, um, by Fresny. Uh, it has a variety of pairings, mainly Sherlock John, but it also has uh, Sherlock Irene thrown in there for Spice. Um, so that's I really recommend that. It's fantastic. Uh, another one I recommend in Doctor Who fandom is Cold Dreaming um, by J.J. Poore. This actually is not on AO3. It's on um, Teaspoon and Open Mind, which is a fairly well-known archive to Doctor Who people, but other people might not be familiar with it. But um, this is whofic.com and Cold Dreaming by J.J.P.O.R. This is really cool. It's actually backstory for Madame Vastra, who is an amazing character in Doctor Who. Um, And, you know, so Madame Vastra is a Silurian, which means that, you know, she... Is this sentient reptile that like evolved back in like the Cretaceous period? Then this story has backstory for her that's set in the Cretaceous period, and it's actually a very accurate depiction like based on what we know of of what life was like at the time. So it's really good science as world building. It also, it's really good science as plot component in that like it the um you know the great uh, Cretaceous cataclysm occurs during this story, and it really is like a really intense because we all know what's going to happen, but it's just really I don't know. Science has worked in really well in terms of, like, including the Cretaceous disaster in the story. So that's a great one. Um, let's see. It's hard to pick because I had a bunch of links in here. Um, so a lot of these things are metas. Um, another um, really cool story that I like, um, this is going to be biased for my end of things because I'm an Anwar's fandom, but to the, like, maybe two people out there who are interested in Animorphs stuff. Um, <laughs> <laughs> We're not uh, alone. <laughs> You're not alone. Also, you should read my stuff because I write tons of sciencey animal stories. Um, but anyway, this is a really cool fic. It's uh, it's actually on fanfiction.net. Sorry, you have to wait to the pit. But um, but it's really good. It's called um, The Yerk and the Ged, A Natural History. Um, this is by Nate the Ape, and it's really cool. It's basically this whole meta about like how Yurks evolved, which is kind of hard to. It seems on its face very hard to explain because why can they link with other people's brains and control them? Um, But it does a really good job explaining how they might have evolved. So that's super cool. Excellent. Good stuff. But, yeah, just for a couple that um, Poetry and I mentioned in passing, uh, I, uh, I tried valiantly to find science fic in my, like, for better or for worse, primary fandom, which is like silmarillion the sex with silicon based life form star uh Horta from star trek is uh it's it's called straight up just silicon it's by sg1 sam fan it's on ao 3 and yeah that's basically gala having sex with a silicon based life form it's good everyone should read it um and then the secondary... The, the, the second one uh, is Infinite Diversity and Infinite Combination by Buzette. Uh yes. also also a Trek fic. Um, and the reason this one is good is because it involves uh, Captain Pike getting a new yeoman... Uh, no, no, what, what the fuck? A new yo, yeoman. yeoman. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> whatever. <laughs> Captain Pike gets a new yeoman who is a plant-based life form and... Uh, he's, you know, trying to understand how to deal with it and eventually very diplomatically asked his plant-based life form, you uh, what their preferred gender pronouns are because they're not flowering at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> it's amazing. That's and it's, it, it's some really good stuff. So that's, that's a good pick. Uh,
2: MK? Yeah. Okay. So I have two. The first one is called I Like the Way I Smell on You by Eyebear, uh, which is... Hockey RPF, it's an Alpha Omega Beta AU, so I think it's relevant. Um, but it's interesting because Sid is an Omega who has never gone into heat, and he falls in love with Gino, who's an Alpha, but, like, he's like, I, how, how is this going to work? How, how? Other one. Okay, so it's called Anything Anything by Drunk Tuesdays. This is a Teen Wolf story in which Derek and Stiles wake up in a future where they're happily married, except that they both have Only their memories of, like, ten years ago. And they freak out, and they act really crazy. But what makes this great is they only experience this for a limited amount of time, and then they go back to their time. So it's kind of like they just jumped into a parallel reality.
0: And fucked it up, and then left.
2: No, they didn't fuck it up, which is amazing. Like, (laughs) I don't know how that happened. That's the most unbelievable part of the story.
0: Clearly. All right. Um, I have a couple of wrecks. Um, two of them are thick and then two of them are just sciencey things that I enjoy in general. Um, number one, even though, as we've discussed on this podcast, this has been completely disproven, an SGA story written by Too Much Plur called I'm Taking This Loop Off. Which, if anyone has seen the SG-1 episode, uh, I forget the name, but it's basically just... Oh, sorry. It's called Window of Opportunity. And it's a great, hilarious episode where Jack O'Neill just slowly goes insane because he's living the same day over and over again. And it actually portrays the level of exquisite boredom that you would hit if this actually happened to you. This um, is an SGA story where this happens to Rodney. And he's decided that there's nothing he can do to stop this entire time loop bullshit. So he's just going to ride it out because he's figured out that there's like so many cycles before it stabilizes again. <laughs> so in this one, he's going to seize his life by the testes and lay a kiss on Sh- Shepard. This goes completely wrong, obviously because the time loop stops one cycle short of what he had anticipated because this is Rodney McKay's life. It's incredibly charming, very funny, and a really interesting inversion on what typically happens in um, time loop stories. And I enjoyed it hugely. Yeah. Um, Another time travel story is my second rec. It's by, it's called Equinox by Lucia. And the summary is one of the best single lines describing a fake that I've ever read. It's called in which Castiel is the weird time traveling freak who might just be the love of Dean Winchester's life. It's essentially a time traveler's wife story but it actually weaves itself narratively all throughout the supernatural canon. And it's lovely and really tenderly written. And I'm a big fan um, because I'm weak to angel bullshit. Essentially, <laughs> um, The other two recommendations I have um, are not fixed at all. One is one of my favorite podcasts for people who are picking that up now that you guys have tried Night Vale and realized how awesome it is for radio drama and stories in your ears is uh, produced by BBC Radio 4. It's called The Infinite Monkey Cage. And (laughs) it's a science comedy chat that usually invites panel guests who are also scientists or philosophers and things like that. And um, it's hosted by Brian Cox. Robin Ince, and a lot of times we'll have people like Dara O'Brien or like Neil deGrasse Tyson, people like that come on and talk about really interesting topics. Like, and it, it's beautiful because it straddles the line between science and philosophy because they do clash in a lot of, not clash, but they run up against each other in a lot mm-hmm. of ways. Like one episode that really sticks out in my mind is um, the episode called What is Death? because we've redefined that so much with the advent of science. You know, it used to be, like, if you stop breathing, we can fix that now. Or, like, it used to be if your heart heart stopped beating, but, like, we can also fix that now. So what even is death anymore? Um, My last rec is for people you know, really loved that mosquito and smelly stuff story. There's (laughs) a fabulous resource everyone should check out. It's called the Ig Nobel Prize. This is awarded every year. And it's basically just pointing out stuff. And it's not like you did bad science. You just did silly science. Um, And the whole premise is that stuff, you like read the abstract of this paper and you're like, what the fuck were you smoking? But you put this together, but then it makes you think. Um, and there's great things about the Ig Nobel, like the guy, one year a guy won an Ig Nobel for something with magnetic fields where he levitated a frog. And (laughs) 10 years later with sort of science that came out of that work, he won an actual Nobel prize. So (laughs) it's great. It's absolutely fun. And if you like weird science or interesting stuff at all, you should definitely check this out. The whole premise is improbable research. It's awesome. Excellent.
1: Uh,
0: And that's it. Um, Guys, thank you so much for coming on. I think this turned thank out you. so well and was so much fun. Yeah,
1: I had a ton of fun too. Uh, by the way, I'm really uh, I'm happy to field more science questions at my Tumblr. Just throw me an ask. Uh, it's again feather quill pen. So come on over and I will
0: try to enlighten you on things. Absolutely. And if you send your science questions to Slash Report, we'll chuck them over at her as well. Yay. Yay. that sounds good I think that wraps us up for the week um, again thanks guys for being on this hugely long podcast <laughs> <laughs> and uh, we'll catch all of you guys on the flip side thank you bye See everybody. You
1: sexy, new trick, mind melt pick.
2: (laughs) But that means I have like six kinds of ice cream in my freezer. That's cool. I have like
0: four kinds of vodka. Mm -hmm. Yes, Emily, when you have your computer pointed at your butt, I can see (laughs) stuff After hours. And she was like, bro, you look like a pro.